What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, and welcome back to ACRAC. I'm Jed Wolpaw, and today it's just me. And I'm going to talk about why I think a low-dose norepinephrine infusion, whether in the operating room or the ICU, is almost always a good thing. And I think we should be using it more than we do. And we're going to look at that by me making the argument I think uh, makes sense, and then I'm going to share with you uh, just a couple of papers. Uh, One, uh, the sensor trial, which looked at early use of norepinephrine in septic shock, and I think had some really interesting, at least hypothesis-generating outcomes. Uh, A paper looking at norepinephrine um, use in open cystectomies in the operating room, and then uh, a meta-analysis that looked at the use of pressors in the operating room for free flaps. So we'll look at that and and just use that to kind of support the argument. But I really want to hear from others um, if you disagree, if you agree, if you've got other evidence you use for this, uh, because I think it's a really important topic and one we should be talking about, and it's pretty interesting. Also, we will have an ongoing discussion about this on the website at acrac.com, where you can leave a comment. Also, at the new Facebook group. So check that out on Facebook, ACRAC, the new Facebook group, which you can join and take part in the conversation there. Of course, also check us out on Twitter. We're at ACRAC Podcast, and I am at Jay Wolpaw. And you can follow all of those things and get involved in various discussions. It should be a lot of fun. We will be having some Twitter polls, some ongoing discussions on the Facebook group and on Twitter. So check all of that out. If you haven't already joined the mailing list, you can do that at ACRAC.com, and we'll be sending some stuff out there. I've been saying for years that I would do more than just announce new episodes, and uh, I, I have now started and will continue to send hopefully some interesting tidbits, whether just for fun or some interesting articles or things like that, out via that mailing list. All right, so check us out on Facebook, check us out on Twitter, and uh, let's get started. All right, so I let, let's just review here that norepinephrine – uh, is a really, uh, in my opinion, excellent presser. Now, we know it's the go-to presser for septic shock and for sepsis, but also it has a lot of other great uses. I think in the operating room, to deal with the anesthetic-induced vasodilation, you have two major options, right? We either push phenylephrine and ephedrine, which is the most common thing. And if you're just dealing with some transient hypotension around induction before there's the stimulation of surgery, I think that's fine. There's nothing wrong with giving some phenylephrine or if the patient's also got a relatively low heart rate, some ephedrine, and tidying yourself over that way. However, 
If you find yourself pushing phenylephrine and ephedrine repeatedly and frequently during a surgery, it doesn't make sense to me why you would prefer to have the ups and downs and ups and downs of that approach rather than run what the other option is, which is a vasopressor drip, at least at a low dose, and then on top of that, treat as needed. Now, if you're going to do that, the most common options are either phenylephrine, which certainly when I was training was by far the most common, or I think we've come into an era where people are using norepinephrine more and more often. Part of that is that we now know and feel pretty confident that norepinephrine in correct dilution can be given as a peripheral infusion in a way that is safe, at least as safe as phenylephrine. Now, to do that and to do it correctly, you need to make sure you have a good IV that you feel confident about, and you need to be able to monitor uh, that site. Now, that makes it a little less exciting if you if that arm is tucked uh, where that IV is and you can't see it at all. It's not that it's impossible, but you want to make sure you feel good about that IV. And then you want to make sure you're following any of your own hospital protocols about what you can and can't do. So don't, don't use this recording as an excuse to break protocol. But it is uh, pretty, I'm pretty confident in the fact that it's safe, or at least, again, as safe as, nor- as phenylephrine. Uh, and then you want to know what to do if it does infiltrate. So you want to have access to your hospital policy for infiltration of a vasopressor, where uh, most of the time you're going to use phentolamine injection, uh, elevate the arm, provide warm compresses, et cetera. So you want to know what your hospital policy is and be ready to do that. But that said, now that we know it's, it's safe... Uh, it is something that's coming into play more and more. Now, I think that norepinephrine is a better better vasopressor for this, um, for counteracting the vasodilation of anesthesia than phenylephrine. And that's because you still get some peripheral squeeze, but you also are going to get some beta and increased cardiac output, which is going to really help perfuse the body, going to increase cardiac output, perfuse the body, perfuse anastomoses, et cetera. Now, there's some debate, I think, over what dose is kind of an appropriate just counter dose for the uh, anesthetic vasodilation. And I don't think there's any right answer for this. I think it varies based uh, on, on the person, and each person is going to be slightly different, and depending on what anesthetic you're using and how much vasodilation there is. But in general, I think that if you are using a dose of norepinephrine of anywhere from 0.01 up to about 0.06 mics per kilo per minute, that is a completely reasonable dose that is really probably just bringing you back to about normal. If you get above 0.06, you get into somewhere between 0.06 and 0.1, it may well be that you're still just counteracting the vasodilation of your anesthetic, but you should be asking yourself, what else might be going on here? Could I be volume down and need some volume? Could the patient be losing more blood than I thought? Could there be some ischemia? Could there be something else going on? Are the surgeons clamping or leaning on or otherwise compressing the IVC reducing preload? Just asking yourself what else is going on. If you get much above 0.1, I think that's where you really do need to start asking yourself, uh, you know, what what do I need to do in addition just to titrating up the uh, norepinephrine? But I do think that at that low dose, less than about 0.06, you are really not doing much in the way of arterial vasoconstriction. It's certainly not overconstriction. You're not reducing and probably are increasing blood flow to the anastomoses that the surgeons are doing. You are doing that in a few ways. So you get some venoconstriction, which is going to help auto-transfuse blood back into the circulation from the venous pooled blood, and that is going to increase preload and therefore increase cardiac output. You're going to get the direct beta action, which is going to increase contractility and increase cardiac output. And of course, you're going to 
elevate your SVR a little bit and therefore be able to make sure you're perfusing through your coronary arteries and giving your heart the oxygen that it needs to perform optimally. So I think it's a great presser for that situation. So I think it's not probably that controversial that if you're hypotensive, you're going to give some presser, whether that's pushing phenylephrine and ephedrine, whether it's running a phenylephrine drip, or whether it's running a norepinephrine drip. So the question is, what about running it preemptively? What about running it preemptively? And so there, let's use what we know from some situations. There's not, I can't point you to a, to a trial other than the one we're going to talk about with cystectomies um, that really answers this question. But I do think that we can make some inferences and argue that this makes a lot of sense. But let's start by looking at the sensor trial because I like this trial a lot. And I think that uh, this gives us some good information. So what was the sensor trial? It's a single center RCT from Thailand that randomized 310 patients with suspected sepsis presenting to the ED to one of two arms. They were either started, and it was a double-blind RCT, they were either started on norepinephrine at 0.05 mics per kilo per minute right away or placebo. And then everything else went down the surviving sepsis campaign guideline pathway. So they got the volume, they got additional pressors if they were still hypotensive, et cetera, et cetera. And then they followed them. The presser uh, dose of the original uh, study norepinephrine went on for 24 hours. And they followed them. And they found a few things. So their primary outcome was shock control by six hours. And they defined that as having either a sustained mean arterial pressure greater than 65 millimeters of mercury for at least 15 minutes and two consecutive hours of either urine output more than 0.5 mLs per kilo per hour or a decrease in serum lactate greater than 10% from the initial level. So they had to have a MAP greater than 65 and either the urine or the decreased lactate. And they found quite a difference in that primary outcome. So the norepinephrine group had much... um, higher levels of a shock resolution at six hours than did the other group. It was 76% versus 48%, and that p-value was 0.001. So very statistically significant. Now, you might question that outcome as being a little bit of a mishmash, but and it was primarily driven by the urine, uh, so more than the lactate clearance, it was driven by the urine output, um, but we'll talk about that more in a second. There were a bunch of secondary outcomes, which granted were secondary, so just really hypothesis generating. There was no difference in mortality, but uh, there was a difference in pulmonary edema. We'll talk about that more in a minute. And there was a difference in uh, new onset arrhythmias, less in the norepinephrine group. Uh, And interestingly, there was no difference in skin necrosis. So a few interesting things to talk about there. One is that no difference in skin necrosis. And at least half of these patients were having this go through a peripheral line. So that's a really important point to note that another piece of evidence suggesting that it's safe to use peripheral uh, norepinephrine. Now, let's talk about the primary outcome. So the fact that there was significantly more urine, uh, and another thing to mention is they got about the same amount of fluid. Okay, so that's interesting, right? Because you would normally think that the norepinephrine would help you give less fluid. But remember, they were going down the surviving sepsis campaign guidelines, so they all got that 30 cc's per kilo, and so that's going to give you a big bolus right up front. So what it says to me... The fact that they got the same amount of fluid, but the group getting the norepinephrine infusion had less pulmonary edema and more urine output, that tells me that somehow this norepinephrine may have been helping to keep 
the fluid that was given intravascular. And therefore, less of it was leaking out into the lungs and less of more of it was getting filtered into the kidneys and making urine. And so I think this just goes to show that it's a really good way of really keeping fluid intravascular and perfusing the kidneys and that that's a real positive potential outcome that we can see here. Now, again, secondary outcomes we don't want to make too much of, but I think it's pretty interesting to see that. And I would guess, but of course we can't say this for sure, that if we were doing this in just operating room patients, not septic patients, but patients coming to the operating room for surgery, that we would see less volume given to the patients on that low-dose levo because, and when I say levo, I mean norepinephrine, because that uh, we wouldn't have a mandated 30 cc's per kilo. So you'd have patients who you were just giving volume if you thought they needed it. And one of the things we rely on for that, whether we should or not, is a debate for another day. But one of the things we rely on for that is the blood pressure. And if your blood pressure isn't falling as much, then that would be a reason to give less volume. So I think that this could be a really good thing. And we, of course, do see uh, norepinephrine drips and phenylephrine drips appearing in ERAS protocols, again, as a way to try to restrict the amount of fluid that patients are getting. There's been a bunch of uh, papers recently looking at hypotension in the operating room, how frequent it is, how often it happens. Some of the most common times to see it are immediately after induction, not a surprise. And again, I think if you were to start a patient on a levo infusion on arrival to the OR, you'd attenuate some of that. And instead of getting these hypotensive dips and then treating with phenylephrine ephedrine to correct it, which give you the swings and still leave you with significant episodes of hypotension, you would avoid some of that. So I think from the sensor trial, we get a, a feel for how this might be beneficial, certainly in sepsis and definitely uh, interesting to think about how that might apply in the operating room. So again, uh, if you know of a trial that specifically looked at starting people early on a levo norepinephrine infusion in the operating room and looked at outcomes, please let me know. What I have found is that there is one trial from the European Urology Journal, which uh, looked at taking patients who were coming to the operating room for open radical cystectomy and randomized them to getting uh, levo at about 0.03 mics per kilo per minute compared to placebo, and then uh, tried to restrict their fluid in the levo group and to look at blood loss, interestingly. And what they found is that the, the group getting the levo had significantly uh, less blood loss and required less transfusion. Now, uh, their theory there is that when you aren't as vasodilated, then you're not going to bleed as much. Um, and so you're also going to get less fluid when you're less hypotensive and therefore not going to dilute your hemoglobin, which might lead people to transfuse you. So I think that all is plausible. Uh, and totally reasonable. But it makes me wonder, uh, they also found that it was safe, I should say. Uh, so they didn't have increased complications in the norepinephrine group. But it does make me want to know, uh, and it makes me think probably that this would be a reasonable thing to do just in general, especially for a surgery like a big open abdominal surgery, where you may be thinking that you might see hypotension and end up wanting to preempt that. So you start people on levofed, uh, norepinephrine. I would not have necessarily anticipated that it would save you from blood loss, but yet another potential benefit. Um, and then you would presumably just have less swings. And that's what I see. I do this quite a lot uh, in the operating room, and I definitely see that you get better blood pressure control. I titrate it 
anywhere from I've been as low as 0.005 mics per kilo per minute because I really try not to turn it off. I try to keep it going unless the patient obviously is, is unacceptably hypertensive and obviously then you, you have no choice. But you should ask yourself, if someone is on 0.01 or 0.005 and they're significantly hypertensive, it's probably not your norepinephrine. You probably need to think about whether you have to deepen your anesthesia. But in general, if you can keep at least a little bit going, then you don't have those same swings where you turn off your drip, they get hypotensive, you turn it on, they get hypertensive. So, you know, I think what makes a lot of sense is to pick a level, and, and they picked 0.05 in that trial, uh, in the um, sensor trial, 0.03 in this uh, cystectomy trial, but pick something. And I think generally something like 0.03, 0.04 is totally a reasonable number, and then try to build your anesthetic around it. So where you really leave that, and uh, you can always titrate it up if they're significantly hypotensive. You can titrate it down if you really feel you need to, but if you kind of have your goal be to leave it there, and then if, they're, if you want to lower the blood pressure, think about deepening your anesthetic a little, I think that really will help you get that nice, even blood pressure, which is probably beneficial to patients, and certainly avoiding those big lows, those MAPs less than 65 or even those MAPs less than 55, that's a really nice goal to have. Now, you might say, well, my surgeons hate levofed. And I would say, don't I know it? There's a real prejudice against norepinephrine uh, in the surgery world. And part of this is because they have a lot of delicate anastomoses and they're worried about blood flow. And norepinephrine at high dose will absolutely interfere with blood flow to those anastomoses. You can't run norepinephrine at 0.3, 0.5, and not have serious compromise to those anastomoses. And you might think also about things like a free flap or a graft in a transplant. And so I absolutely understand that that's where this comes from. However, we want to remember that not all doses are the same. At the low doses that we're talking about, and I have this conversation with surgeons all the time, and I find that our surgeons are definitely starting to understand this and come around, and I think it's really helping that this is included in a lot of the ERAS protocols. At the low doses that we're talking about, you're not going to have anything but increased perfusion to those anastomoses. Now, the final article that I'm going to mention is called Intraoperative Use of Vasopressors is Safe in Head and Neck Free Tissue Transfer. And I love this because it's by our fantastic uh, Department of Plastic Surgery here at Hopkins, along with um, some colleagues in China. And they did a meta-analysis and review where they looked through the literature and uh, tried to find studies that used pressors in free flap surgery and tried to come up with the uh, results. And so they found four studies they included, so not a huge number. But what they found was that it was totally safe, right? So these were mostly studies of push doses, so phenylephrine, ephedrine, one included some dopamine, but it was clear that even when you're pushing a presser, right, and you're talking, when you're pushing a presser, that intense vasoconstriction that you get in that, in that moment of pushing it is going to be way more than you're ever going to get in a low dose of something like a norepinephrine infusion. So even with those push doses, it was totally safe. They didn't see any reduced rate of tissue uh, loss, of, of flap loss. Now, what I'd love to see is a trial that looked at running a low-dose norepinephrine infusion during the case and in the ICU compared to placebo and compared to some of the large amount of fluid that these patients get sometimes instead of pressors and seeing which flaps did better because I bet the flaps in the norepinephrine group would do better because they're going to get more perfusion. And if you're not flooding them with fluid, you're going to have less edema and therefore even 
less back pressure on that flap and on the perfusion. So you're going to avoid the edema, which is going to be good for the flap. You're going to increase cardiac output, which is going to be good for the flap. And again, at those low doses of norepi, you're not going to run into the problem of vasoconstriction and reduced blood flow. Now, if you're concerned about the dose kind of getting escalated maybe by the nurse until it's too high, you can write the order to max out wherever you want it. So what we'll sometimes do is write you know, a norepinephrine infusion to maintain MAP greater than 65, titrate from zero to 0.08 mics per kilo per minute. And then it can't go over 0.08. So, you know, you don't have to worry about that. Or if, the, if they're still hypotensive and they get to 0.08, the nurse has to come to you and then you can have a conversation. Think about it. Talk to your surgical team. Ask them what they're thinking and come up with a mutually agreeable solution. Now, I want to be very clear that if you're going to do this, you do need to have your surgical colleagues on board. So if you want to try this for free flaps uh, or any surgery that you think a norepinephrine infusion would be helpful for, Bring your surgical colleagues into this. I found that over the years, actually, they've become very receptive. Present them with the arguments that make sense. Talk to them about how you're going to stick to low doses. And if you feel you need to escalate beyond those low doses, you're going to have a conversation with them so that they don't think they're going to turn around, you know, all of a sudden and find their patients on 1.5 mics per kilo per minute of norepinephrine. And I think if you do that and you explain this reasoning, how it'll improve perfusion to their anastomoses and prevent having some major uh, edema and volume overload, you're going to be fine. Also, look at your own institution's ERAS protocols because they may include this. And if they don't, go to your ERAS folks, go to the people heading up your ERAS team and ask them, why aren't we including a norepinephrine infusion as a possibility to approach dealing with hypotension here? And then if you really want to push it, talk about you know, instead of just deal, instead of just treating hypotension, should we preemptively think about a low dose norepinephrine infusion to prevent hypotension in the first place and provide hemodynamic stability and solid cardiac output throughout the case? And I think this applies equally in the ICU. If you've got a patient in the ICU and they're a little bit hypotensive or a lot, rather than flood them with fluid, think about starting them early on pressors. It's And by pressors, I mean a norepinephrine infusion, again, at that low dose. And then if you start them on 0.03, 0.04, 0.05 mics per kilo per minute of norepinephrine and they're still hypotensive, then maybe they need some volume. Now, I'm not saying it's never right to give volume first. Assess your patient. Try to figure out if they are volume responsive. Put an echo probe on them. See if they look like their volume down. Get a feel for their IVC. Look at their IVC when you have them do a sniff if they can. If they're mechanically ventilated, look at their pulse pressure variation, their systolic pressure variation. If you can put that echo on there, if you've got a swan, or if you're able to calculate a uh, cardiac output, look at how that changes with something like a straight leg raise. You can look at systolic and and, uh, pulse pressure variation with a straight leg raise. So there's ways to get a feel for whether your patient is volume responsive. And if they are, sure, give them volume. But even then, Think about that early low-dose norepinephrine so you don't end up flooding them with fluid. Remember the sensor trial. That fluid may be less likely to end up in the lungs if you give that low-dose norepinephrine before you end up giving them a ton of fluid. So think about that. Run it by your teams. Think about, talk about what protocols you have in your unit. Talk to your ERAS folks. Talk to your surgeons about it. But think about using this in the OR. Think about using it in the ICU. I think you'll find that patients are going to do better if we aren't reluctant to go with some norepinephrine low dose. If we move away a little from flooding them with fluid, or at least we ask the question, do they need this fluid? And we aren't shy about giving a little norepinephrine.
Now, is there ever a patient who you wouldn't do this in? So I would be a little reluctant to do it if I was really iffy about my IVs. Now, I'd like to say that I wouldn't be proceeding in the operating room with an iffy IV, but sometimes it happens or you end up having a question about your IV. And so I'd be, I would be very reluctant to run a presser infusion of any kind through an IV I wasn't really confident about. Other than that, if you are thinking about using pressors in the operating room and you're deciding between pushing a bunch of phenylephrine and ephedrine every couple of minutes versus running a low-dose norepinephrine drip, then you still have to put either one of those through an IV. And you're probably no safer pushing a bunch of presser than you are running the drip, especially, again, and you definitely want to use a peripheral concentration. So for us, that's 8 milligrams of norepinephrine in 250. Some places use 4 in 250. Find out from your pharmacist what, what you mix up for a peripheral dose. But again, I'm not sure it's any safer to push a bunch of, phen- a bunch of phenylephrine uh, into that IV you're not sure about. So if you're going to give a presser, think about this as maybe a better alternative. And then in the ICU, maybe it's a little more complicated if you're trying to decide whether to use a presser at all versus giving some fluid post-op to a patient who's inflammatory and may need that fluid. But I would just say it's not all or nothing. If you start someone on low-dose levo, you park it there, they still seem like they may need some fluid, then give the fluid. I think that's going to probably be a happy medium that'll work well for everyone. All right, that is it. Let us know what you think. Check out the Facebook page, the ACRAC Facebook group. Check out the Twitter, at ACRAC Podcast, and I'm at Jay Wolpaw. You can follow the podcast and me. Let us know what you think. Go to the website, ACRAC.com. Leave a comment. There's so many ways to share your thoughts, and we can all learn from each other. I want to hear what you think about this. Do you use Levo this way? If not, why not? Am I crazy? Is there some data out there you know of that I don't that shows why I'm crazy? I don't think so, but if it's there, send it to me. Let me know. There's so many fun ways now, whether it's our website or the Facebook group or Twitter, that you can participate in these conversations, so let's do it. All right. If you are a fan of the show, in addition to going to all these many places, also think about going to iTunes and leaving a comment and a rating. It really helps others find the show. Also, if you would like to support the making of the show, please consider going to patreon.com slash ACRAC. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash A-C-C-R-A-C, where you can become a patron of the show. And even if it's just a dollar or two that you pledge, believe it or not, it makes a big difference and we really appreciate it. You can also make a donation anytime at paypal.me slash ACRAC. If you are already a patron, thank you so much to those of you who are, and of course, those who've made donations. A huge thank you to Dennis Quo, who composes our original ACRAC music, and a big shout out and thank you to our ACRAC intern, Kimia Kashkuli, who is off to a fantastic start. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you, Kimia. And thanks to all of you for listening. That is it for today for the ACRAC podcast. I am just me, Jed Wolpaw, remember, what you're doing out there every day is really important and valued. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.